All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the 27th day of November 2018. I do want to remind you that my newsletter is Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks can be subscribed to by going to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com. Also like to consider, um, have you consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, he has done extremely well with the biotech sector and always has some really interesting things that he follows. Learns to know the management uh, very well and can provide insights that I think uh, his subscribers well, they, they pay a nice price for but uh, if they follow his work closely and have the time to be next to their computers and trade can do extremely well. And, of course, we have Michael Oliver with us in just a couple of minutes, and it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Uh, for almost any market that you care to follow, uh, Michael covers uh, for his more extensive service, but he also has a lower-cost service for that just focuses on the precious metals and the We'll ask him about that in a couple of minutes from now. do want to thank you for listening to this show, making it the most popular show, or at least one of the most popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and would like to really encourage you to continue sending along your questions, your comments, whatever they may be, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions, the number for taylor at gmail.com. Our sponsors for today's show, which we are grateful for because they make this show possible RN Resources, Great Bear Resources Novo Resources Sandstorm Gold uh, Triumph Gold, Gold Mining uh, Inc, Uranium Energy and Klondike Gold Corp I've titled today's show Surviving and Profiting from Internet Warfare. Richard Mayberry Peter Talman and Michael Oliver are with me today In a global world interconnected by computers from the seats of global power into our dens and living rooms, we are more vulnerable to intrusive snooping and theft than ever before, not only by thieves and by our own government and foreign governments, but also by corporations well-connected to governments, not to mention renegade ex-military quality hackers. I do want to ask Richard Mayberry to discuss our personal vulnerability, how we can protect ourselves against Internet intrusions, and some profit-making trends that he sees uh, in this field as well uh, to evolve as individuals and governments seek to protect their sovereign rights and their, uh, and their own security, their Internet security. If time permits, I also want to ask Richard to comment a little bit on the U.S. economy and, in particular, his, uh, his views on where we're at in terms of, um, uh, in terms of the uh, velocity of money, which is really a big deal in terms of inflation. 
uh, Richard always has a he has a velocity index that he keeps track of, and I want to find out where he sees uh, things now in terms of the U.S. dollar velocity. Peter Talman will update us on the new geological insights that he and his company has gained this past year uh, from the drill program, very extensive drill program on the Klondike Gold uh, project that they are working on. A very interesting story, and I think um, whilst the stock has really gotten battered uh, from a geological point of view in terms of exploration and the insights that they've gotten, it's quite a, a story that you should be paying some attention to. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me, and uh, he always has some great insights into the markets. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Good to be back, and it's good to tell our listeners it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Uh, Michael, really good to have you with me. I want to ask you, um, you know, I got a very interesting email from a subscriber uh, named Dr. Young. <clears throat> He's a new subscriber of mine. He says, at this time, I think his question is at this time when, you know, you talk about these major market tectonic shifts that are taking place. And I think Dr. Young's questions are very apropos for the time that we're uh, experiencing right now. And he asks, and I will uh, pass this question on to you and let you take it as you will. While the mining stocks have great potential in the next leg up, what will happen to them in a market crash? Might it be better to wait for the crash and then buy or buy now and hold on? And I, I know, Michael, you're not necessarily convinced that we're going to see a crash. You've talked about this a lot of times. It might be a, you know, two steps down, one back up, two down, one back up, that kind of thing. But in either, either event, um, how, how would you answer? How would you ha- answer Dr. Young's question? Well, there was a time, in fact, from up until the 2011 peak in gold in particular, uh, where gold and miners went in sync with the S&P. Now, they outpaced the S&P from 2000 through 2011. In other words, yes, well, the S&P rose from its 2002 low and went up to 2011, then had a sell-off coincident. You know. Anyway, mm-hmm. the, there was somewhat of a linkage, so it can fool people. Uh, I don't think the linkage exists anymore. Our Uh work suggests that, no, they're in opposite sync, especially since mid-2016. You've got to remember, in late 2015 into early 2016 was a period of weakness for gold, gold miners, and S&P. They all bottomed within a month or two of each other in that period, a cluster of, you know, call it November, December through January, February of 2016. And then they took off. Well... The takeoff in gold and the takeoff on the upside in GDX is far bigger than what the S&P did during that period of time, up through mid-2016. But then at that point, gold and gold miners went back down. They, mm-hmm. they, gold didn't go down so much, it stayed in the upper half of the range. But GDX went down from like 30-plus. It had been at $12.40, $12.40 in late 2015. Uh, and it shot up to over 30 and then pulled all the way back down to like uh, 17 here recently. And now, now uh-huh. we're trading either side of 19. So this pullback since of the last two years plus has been contrary to the direction of the S&P. Mm-hmm. And more upside. But what's curious, we did a report this weekend, partly tongue-in-cheek but very real. A lot of times sentiment and feelings of people aren't in line with reality. Yeah. And if you, opt, if you entered optimally... Let's say you bought the S&P in that late 2015, early 2016 period. Or if you bought the GDX, the gold miner ETF, unleveraged, uh, in the same time period, you're actually better off in the GDX right now than you are in the S&P. 
If That's you tell amazing. people that at a Christmas cocktail party, they'll chuckle. Yeah, but they won't wrong. believe you. <laughs> they, they won't believe the, you. The, yeah. the issue is the entry point. Mm-hmm. And when gold turned up in early 2016, specifically first week of February, we got bullish. We got bullish on GDX at that time as well. But price then was on the GDX was in the $14 area, a bit off the low at $12.40. And it's trading either side of 19 You do the percentages, and you'll see that that's actually more up right now mm-hmm. than is the S&P as of Friday's close. Oh. Um, in fact, if you do it three years exactly, we went back to the November 20th close of 2015. So uh, uh, 16, 17, 18, so three years exactly through Friday's close last year, uh, uh, last week. Uh, It it shows that the GDX was up 44%, S&P was up 26%. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's very surprising. That's very surprising. Uh, Michael, I would say, though, however, that the GDX, of course, those are the senior miners, the big guys that are in the sector. And we know companies like Kirkland Lake and others that have done extremely well. The mm-hmm. companies that I follow and the sponsors of this show during that time frame have not done well. They've gotten battered pretty hard, uh, which is why I really like to. Uh, I really like them now, actually, in a way, because I think uh, at least the ones that I have confidence in, I think the upside could be very, very significant if we could finally get a turnaround in gold. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But before we get to that, let me just ask you one other question Dr. Young had. You know, he's a lot of people are talking about a reset of the dollar. A lot of people are talking about a new monetary regime. This one is getting kind of long in the tooth since Bretton Woods, the breakdown of Bretton Woods in 1971. I haven't heard you talking about a new monetary regime, but you do have a sense of the dollar. Uh, and, you're do- and you're pretty, unless I'm wrong, you're very bearish on the dollar longer yeah, it's term. It's hard right? to be that way, you know, but, but our technical work says, yes, you should be bearish on the dollar. As of May of 2017, in fact, it said, be bearish as it came down from over 100 on the dollar index down to 99, we get bearish. Now, right now, it's at 97, and it's had a good rally to get here, but we view it as a very strong counter-trend rally to the major new direction, which I think was set uh, in May of 2017. So I don't think it's going to succeed. Now, the main thing you have to look at there is the euro, because euro is 57% of the dollar index. Yeah, so right. in effect, I'm saying, well, the euro is going to be okay. Well, how can that possibly be? And geez, if I can figure it out, <laughs> fundamentally, uh-huh. but technically yeah. it argues that. Now, I can fantasize some things that may come to be, and, uh, but as far as the dollar reset, yes, we've commented on it at margin. Uh, the Chinese have been accumulating gold like crazy, and they're now the number one gold producer. Um, I think it's a, 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 an assumption that's valid that at some point in the, in the next few years, especially as we get into more of a debt and a currency crisis, they're going to have a, a gold-backed one. And it wouldn't shock me if the Russians have a gold-backed ruble. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't shock me that there's some intellectual folks in Europe, particularly in Germany, who may not hold the reins of power right now, mm-hmm. but are increasing their position of power because of the diminishing position of power of the Merkels, mm-hmm. that don't like what the ECB has been doing in the Forex markets and the debt markets, mm-hmm. and that they may want to reconfigure the euro in some manner, perhaps sure. backed by gold, I'm not sure. But if you get into a crisis situation, particularly led by debt, which I think is what we're headed into, it's going to affect the Forex markets, and it's going to for- affect the thinking of people who can make changes in what central banks have been doing and might not be doing in the future. Mm-hmm. So that is a reset, um, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it's both motivated by 
thinking ahead of the curve, like maybe the Chinese are, uh, but also events that will happen will reshape people's thought processes. Right, uh, right, for sure. Know, uh, so Let's don't do this again type of mentality. Yeah. Let's All right, Michael, we're, we're just about out of time, but with, uh, with regard to Dr. Young's question, and he says, if there is a reset of the dollar, would it be better to buy more physical metal and then convert it to the new currency to buy stocks then? That's possible because I think that at that point stocks will be in the tank and will have discounted the compounded error over the past 10 years, mm-hmm. namely uh, artificial pricing of stocks up in the developed markets by central banks. If we can erase that, mm-hmm. uh, like get the S&P back down, you know, some deep level, back to 1,500, for example. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. have any projections, but if, yes, if, if I think that would occur opposite to a gold advance where gold then becomes the backing of certain major currencies, in mm-hmm. which case the gold both ends and it sort of disappears behind currencies mm-hmm. uh, at, a, at, at a lofty level. But it, it's going to take a crisis to get that. But in the process, yes, stocks might be, not gold stocks, but broad stock market could be mm-hmm. vastly lower than it is now, in which case it might, in fact, be a time to look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't see uh, gold stocks being attached or no. uh, in sync with the general equity market, if, I guess. If they were lofty. And had not mm-hmm. come down the way they have. When right. you take a, a GDX index from 66 and you take it to 1240, mm-hmm. $12.40 from you know, 2011 through 2015, what do you want? Mm-hmm. It's not going to go to zero. Yes, some miners might, but the index itself won't be replaced by other miners in the, in, in the ETF. So right. the point being that they're only so low they can go, and they do reflect the commodity. And therefore, if the commodity isn't going to collapse anymore, and they've had their collapse, which looks to me like a theoretical zero low they made at 1240, mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to go to zero. That, therefore, they're literally as low as they're going to go. The issue mm-hmm. then is when, you know, when do they turn in a, a more demonstrable way? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's too far away. All right. Well, thank you very much, Michael. We are out of time. You're, thank you very much for your insights. And of course, folks, Michael uh, is looking and his comments are made First and foremost, from what his uh, from what his technical analysis is telling him, uh, but he also uh, is very much uh, very much understanding of the fundamentals of markets and is a free market advocate. That's for sure, uh, and we always love having him with us. Thanks so much for being with us again, Michael. Well, hopefully, we'll do it again next week. All right. Well, folks, don't go away though, because I'm going to be back with Peter Talman, CEO of Klondike Gold. That's uh, one of my favorites. Wow, you talk about companies and stocks that have gotten battered. Uh, Klondike Gold has really taken it on the chin recently, but uh, I think it's got great upside. And, uh, well, we'll hear what Peter Talman has to say about that when he comes back right after the break. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 
Turning hard times into good times is brought to you in part by Sandstorm Gold Royalties. Sandstorm Gold Royalties is a different kind of gold company. They purchase royalties on select mining operations and receive a percentage of the revenue in return. Sandstorm now has a portfolio of over 185 gold royalties around the world. See how gold royalties differ from other gold mining investments at sandstormgold.com. That's sandstormgold.com. Sandstorm Gold Royalties trades on the TSX as SSL and the NYSE as SAND. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have Peter Talman with me once again. He's the uh, CEO, uh, President and CEO, and he's the Director of Klondike Gold Corp. It's one of my favorite stocks, one of my personally one of my larger holdings, uh, and I'm really pleased to have him with us again. He is a very experienced geologist, an exploration geologist. He's worked more than 35 years in the industry, Canada, Chile, Mexico, Australia, and he's... Uh, well, he's now working with uh, Klondike Gold Corp., which is, I think, on to a very fascinating, very potentially very large-scale gold discovery. Uh, Peter, thanks for joining me again. Jay, it's a pleasure to be back. It really is good to have you, and especially now that you uh, the drill data is coming in from last year's drill program. Uh, we're going to be waiting for a lot of that, those, uh, that data to come in yet. But I guess I should tell our listeners it's Klondike Gold uh, trades in Canada under KG, can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol KDKGF. Um, 96.8 million shares, Peter. That's about what I see uh, recently. Now, you're selling, though, at a mere 14 cents in the U.S., which gives you a market cap of, I, I calculated, like 13.8 million in U.S. money, a little more than that in Canadian money. But your stock has gotten battered, which you never like to see. But, boy, I'm telling you, if you understand the the what you have there and I I try to I work hard at it and uh, that's why we have you here because we'd like to know uh, is this just a a cheap stock or is this stock with great opportunity well Peter you were just uh, you were at a professional uh, uh, conference I think mostly geologists that you were speaking to from uh, from major mining companies some of them at least up in the Yukon uh, that's where you're where you're doing your work where your company is exploring. Uh, despite the massive gold rush of the late 1800s, there's, there's not been much serious exploration until you got involved recently, the last few years, regarding the source of that placer gold that was, you know, is one of the most spectacular placer discoveries in the late 1800s. Um, what you, you started to view this um, from a geological perspective quite differently than had been looked at before. Perhaps you can tell in, in lay terms, tell our listeners. Uh, how you view this uh, geology differently from what previous exploration, because there were some people poking around up there. I, I know one uh, geologist concluded that, well, it must have all been eroded away uh, over millions of years, and what you're saying is not so fast. You're finding a lot of gold there. But tell us, what is 
you know, how do you view this differently from a geological perspective than your predecessors? Well, I, I guess when I first, so it's, it's Klondike Gold year four for exploration now, and really years one to three were spent expressly disproving the idea that all the gold is eroded away and there's none left on the bedrock. Um, and we have done that. And as the, the years one to three went on, we found more and more gold and found concentrations of it that were, you know, they, they could develop into something potentially. In year four, um, it's what I just got back from this geology conference um, to report, but we spent the year mostly doing stealth science so that, you know, the, our investors generally are somewhat cranky when you tell them that you have to do all this basic geoscience to try to figure out <laughs> stuff. They'd much prefer to have drilling going on all the time, which we did. But we had a really big geoscience program that spanned all gamuts of, of what you can do with geology to look at it and came up with a completely different scientific explanation now um, for why the gold is there, when it is there, and what hosts it. So uh, the importance of it is, first, we can, we now, like last year at the end when I was talking to you, I was saying, ah, oh, look, we have these faults, and we know there's gold in them, and, and we're, every time we go along that fault and in that area, we find gold. But there really wasn't an understanding, although we were getting there. So we've now spent the full year, and the entire team has contributed, as well as all of our consultants, and we have a specific explanation of how that gold occurs and in what rock types. And strangely enough, when I went to the conference, I was going to present this idea as a brand new, hey, look, this actually rewrites some of the geology of the Yukon. And I was speaking third on this particular day. And the first talk up in the morning was the geologist talking about the coffee deposit that Gold Corp mm -hmm. now owns, and they're our neighbor. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, and she said the same. She she preempted what I was going to say basically, and said, "Oh, look, we have a new view of the geology and the timing, and it's this, not what previous other people previously thought." And the second talk up was on the white gold, so that's golden saddle, um, and a bunch of new discoveries. Again, another neighbor, a Klondike, right beside us. And they presented the same structural data and system and said, look, we're finding all our gold on these structures, and this is why it's there. Um, they disagreed somewhat on the timing of it all, but then I got up and presented and said, hey, look, guess what? All the structures are the same as the coffee deposit, as the golden saddle deposit, and all these things are exactly the same. And I think that... From a, well, I know physically what happened as as soon as I got off the the stage and walked out. Again, the audience was geologists, and mostly all the majors, the world gold mining majors, send all of their senior geos to to listen to these talks. And I was mm -hmm. approached by three of them consecutively right afterwards and said, "We want you to pitch to us now." So yeah, oh, um, good. It, it's a scientific validation more so than a, an investor validation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really it's really important, and I think they instantly got the idea that there's potential there. Well, that's uh, I know that you've been talking about the uh, you increasingly saw your project as a lookalike with the coffee deposit that was picked up by Goldcorp for a pretty penny a few years ago. 
Um, so, so you have a lot of attention from the majors, which I guess is, you know, which you're happy about, right? It's better to have those guys interested in you because you're not going to mind this thing. It's really large. You're an exploration geologist, and uh, uh, some of those companies are looking for large deposits. I mean, all the big guys are looking for large deposits because they're running out of gold. They can't find it as fast as they produce it, and at least that's the case with most companies. So, um, go ahead. Well, that that so uh, the, because my talk followed coffee. I hadn't, I wasn't aware of all the gritty, nitty gritty details. But what was presented in the coffee talk, I followed up and said, "Oh, even the gri- the nitty gritty details of what we have occur also at coffee." Wow. And so to see the ah, this is not only just kind of sort of like that; it's exactly like that. Interesting. Um, and the Gold Corp guys, of course, that's one of the major access routes. They drive through our property, get the coffee. Um, yeah, there, there'd be some synergies there, some obvious synergies. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yes, uh, I suspect Gold Corp will be one of the groups that are interested. Uh, maybe we should just sort of review once again what you're doing there. You have a lot of drill data coming back yet because I guess the labs were jammed full this year. Uh, you mentioned there's going to be a tidal wave of of data coming out. How soon do you expect to receive have How soon do you expect to have received all of the drill results from this year? And how extensive was your drill program? And what did you learn from it essentially? Uh, well, it's the biggest drill program we've had yet. Uh, Eighty-seven holes in total. I think we've reported fifty. So there's forty some odd, forty-five, forty-seven holes left to come. Um, but we're, I kind of prodded the lab while I was there at the conference, and, and they have now started to deliver the outstanding assays. So uh, I was forecasting we'd be still reporting drill results in January. That may be true, but I might get most of them out before that. Uh, before what that. have we learned? We've learned that our principal target, the Lone Star Zone, is big. We've drilled 900 meters of strike length down to or back across 200 meters. Uh, Pretty much every hole we've drilled in it has hit, and I believe there are extensions to it. So we have drilled a 1.6 kilometer long, um, well, spacing uh, all in. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've also tried to drill our second best target or our second we, we don't have much information from it. It's called Nugget, and uh, mm-hmm. so we drilled 25 holes there. Still waiting for any assays from 2018. That would be nice to see. Um, but if we get something out of that, I, uh, I'll be really optimistic that Nugget develops into a target that looks as good as Lone Star, if not better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we drilled a couple of wingnut holes right at the end, as they usually do, uh, like mm-hmm. four or five holes off in the middle everywhere. Who knows? Let's go learn something. Um, and again, uh, those aren't particularly critical. They're they're kind of like the gold run holes from last year or probably mm-hmm. the beginning of this year. Uh, let's just go learn and try to get a better handle on the geology and where the gold is. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really optimistic that we have... Well, we do have a, a, a reasonable, a reasonably significant amount of gold contained at Lone Star, and uh, we're hoping to develop a, a something at Nugget. And now that we have a really strong exploration model, we have targets up and down the belt um, that have <laughs> that look really good. 
Well, I, I suppose once you get all the data in, you'll pull it together, you'll look at it, and then you'll start to think about what you're going to do in 2019, right? And um, do you have any thoughts about that now? Will you, will, you, will you just continue on the Lone Star and try to prove up some sort of large resource? And if so, how soon might that happen? Or you got the Nugget Zone, you got other zones all over the place up there. This is a huge target, which is a disadvantage in the sense that it's just a lot to look at. It takes a lot of time. But what are your thoughts? Do you think you'll be sort of focused on the Lone Star to, to make to try to look at something economic there, or will you spread yourself out on some of these other areas? Um, we have two and a half million dollars allocated for drilling already. We have we have that in, in Treasury, um, so we're going to go drilling for sure. That's going to be somewhere between eight and ten thousand meters, which will start at Lone Star and Nugget, and the intention is at least for the majority of that money to outline. We're aiming for 2 million ounces uh, of gold contained in a resource estimate that would come through 2019 and 2020 drilling. Uh, so we have money to fund the 2019 program. We don't have money yet for 2020. Um, that said, there are some higher grade opportunities. We're gonna go drill a couple of those as well in 2019. Um, and see where we get to. But uh, the objective is more or less focus on what has, uh, I don't know, obviously kind of bored the market is this, this delineation, 50-meter centers. You keep getting, delivering the same result as they did the last news release. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it, it somewhat bores everyone, but it's significant <laughs> because we're adding we're adding ounces every time we yeah. Add, so yeah, I mean you're um, you're doing it. With, I mean the big the big news here is it's disseminated. It's not just high grade veins. It's a lot of dissemination over fairly long widths and 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 uh, strike lengths. I mean uh, uh, drill intercepts that you've reported. And you're uh, yes, they're not they're not spectacular, but they're good long intercepts with gold in them and. I guess your idea is to prove up ounces first, uh, get to that two million ounce, and then you'll start to hone in on economics, maybe somewhere down the road. Well, we're we're kind of doing that now, um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, actually, one of the things that the made two of them, well, the the big guys picked up on in my talk was that the gold, at least on preliminary data, provisionally, it's free gold. So we're all it's uh-huh. free gold sitting at surface. So it doesn't necessarily need, well, it certainly doesn't need, so far as we know, it's not heap leach. We can recover it with gravity methods, uh, so it's cheap. Um, so if you get a substantial amount of it dr- drilled off, and again, it's sitting at surface, all this starts mm-hmm. at surface, um, it, it's potentially economically, it, it would be, it has advantages over some of the other zones, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do is find something that looks good and have enough of it that it definitely forms the basis of what could be either a significant uh, regional play because we believe there's gold all through the district and we've identified new zones as well. Um, the first the first thing now is to prove that there is something potentially economically viable of size. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're well, focusing I- on. Yeah, well, I can tell you one thing as a shareholder. I hope that your shares pick up after this tax loss selling is over. I hope your shares pick up quite a bit before you do any deal with a major. That's all I can say. But uh, I, I think uh, that that's probably something that will happen in 2018, or are you going to try to hold them off until you can uh, 
until you get a better price, or I guess it will depend on the markets too, right? I, I heard the words strategic partnership, um, uh-huh. and so that doesn't, to me, that doesn't mean financing it 15 or 20 cents. Right, right. Um, and, and I'm not really that interested. As you know, we have two major, like, we have billionaire mining investors, two of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, actually, mm-hmm. more than that. But, you know, those are significant guys. They each own 14 or 13% of the company, mm-hmm. and they're prepared to underwrite us. Yeah. Anyway. They don't have to, so, they don't have to, sell, they don't have to sell your stock for the next meal, in other words. Exactly. Well, and right. they're both in for the, they're in for the home run. Um, and that's what they want to see first, discover the source of the Klondike, all that alluvial, 20 million ounces of gold, and find something significant. All right. and, and so we're on track for that. So everyone is happy, with the exception of the share price, which, uh, <laughs> uh, well, it'll be okay. no, we're pretty it'll, optimistic. Yeah, hey, good. Well, we have to leave it go at that, Peter. We're out of time. Thank you so much for updating us with your story. It is a good one, and it's one that I'll be watching and. Uh, Maybe at these prices, pick up some more shares. Thanks so much for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the commercial break with Richard Mayberry to talk about some very important topics having to do with Internet security. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Triumph Gold holds a 100% interest in the district-scale Free Gold Mountain Gold Copper Project in Yukon with a government-maintained road accessing their 200-square-kilometer property. The 2018 drill program has resulted in exciting discoveries to date, hitting the richest intersection ever in a porphyry system in Yukon. The company is well-funded and has a large institutional holding, including Gold Corp and Zijin Mining. Triumph trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol TIG and the OTC markets TIGCF. The website is triumphgoldcorp.com. Gold Mining Inc., ticker symbol G-O-L-D on the TSX and G-L-D-L-F on the OTC is the biggest bet for gold investors and legendary investors like Doug Casey, Rick Rule, and Marin Katusa, who put millions of dollars into backing the company, along with institutional investors. The insiders own over 20%. Gold mining has strong cash and no debt. It's one of the top 1% of gold companies that has over 20 million ounces of gold resources. Visit goldmining.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Richard Mayberry with me once again. Uh, Richard Mayberry's U.S. and and World Early Warning Report, and uh, you should jot this down. It's uh, uh, the website is simply uh, earlywarningreport.com. Earlywarningreport.com. 
I've been a subscriber to Richard's letter for many, many years, uh, and it's just it's excellent. Not only does it keep you up to date with what's going on geopolitically, but it's also very helpful in terms of investment ideas uh, that uh, that are really in tune with what is happening geopolitically. And and Richard, um, like myself, uh, we have a lot of years to look at in the rearview mirror. But Richard, unlike me, I think sees much further into the past and therefore is able to project things better into the future than I am. He's, uh, he's uh, I, I don't know, I think he's known as a 2,000 or three or 4,000-year-old man because he goes back and has studied. He's such a student of history. He's written a bunch of books also from a perspective of a free market perspective that are really worth reading and, and uh, buying through uh, from, his, uh, from his website. Uh, so, Richard, thank you so much for being with us again. Oh, thank you, Jay. It's always an honor to be here, and uh, thank you for the work you do. Your uh, your radio show here uh, gives a viewpoint that the mainstream press just never goes near. And uh, I'm sitting here uh, reading your newsletter right now, too. And, uh, for instance, um, uh, this uh, chart you've got on the manipulation of the gold market, uh, it's very interesting, and uh, I've never seen it before. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I, I don't want to waste time talking about that, but it's uh, there. There are shenanigans that go on in the markets. But one of the things I really appreciate appreciate about your work, Richard, is that you look at the human nature, human beings, and how they behave. You know, we have these technological breakthroughs, and it seems to be growing exponentially. Almost technology, the IT technology, but there's technology in almost every area of our lives in biotech. Uh, you know, we heard that someone just started cloning human beings. Uh, in China this morning, I think it was on the news. Uh, mm-hmm. Technology changes, but human nature doesn't so much. And you point out, you, you started out your December issue uh, by making a statement uh, that I think our founding fathers would very much be in agreement with, uh, but people today hardly are hardly think in these terms. You, you said, and I quote, politics is a systematic organization of hatreds, end of quote. Well, could you elaborate on that, perhaps, and, and give us? And you noted in the uh, also some comments that Vice President Pence made that sort of, I think, relate to what you're talking about. Not to pick on him in particular, but just politics in general. Uh, could you maybe just elaborate on on what uh, Vice President Pence had to say regarding trade? I think in China, uh, maybe just your comments on this whole na- nature of of politics and what it is. Yeah. Um it's, I'm not the first to, to uh, observe that uh, political power corrupts the morals and the judgment. Uh, and the reason for that is that political power is the legalized privilege of using brute force on people who haven't harmed anyone. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, only governments have that legal privilege. Um, and the people who have it, it's an evil thing. I mean, to use force on people who have not harmed anyone mm-hmm. is an evil thing. And so the people who have that power are corrupted by it. And we look back all through history and you see it over and over and over again um, that uh, people are corrupted by this power. And then the more power a government has, the more the people are going to be corrupted. And so, um, you know, these governments not have not only uh, relationships with um, their populations, they have relationships with each other, too, and they mm-hmm. tend to behave like street gangs. They have their turf, and um, they collect uh, um, what the governments call as taxes, but it's really protection money. Um, mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, from their, their populations. And, um, you know, God help you if you do not buy whatever services they're selling. Because mm-hmm. uh, in the long run, you know, they'll, you'll send, they'll send you some nasty letters and all threatening you. But if you don't buy what the government's selling there uh, during tax season, let's say, every April, then people with guns will come to your home and haul you away to prison. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the founders were very, very aware of the corrupting effect of this privilege. And so that's why the Constitution is written the way it is. Um, if you tried to set up a, a private organization and run it according to the American Constitution, you would fail. There, mm-hmm. it, you, there's no way you could get very much done because the Constitution is designed to keep government from doing very much. It's, they were afraid of it. Um, they were afraid of anybody who got control of political power, and so they wrote that Constitution so that it would be, in fact, Jefferson referred to the Constitution uh, as the chains of the Constitution binding down the government. They did not want anybody to get their hands on that power and be able to use it uh, for whatever he wanted. And that's why the Constitution is so has such a convoluted way of making decisions and all the checks and balances and all that. So that's it. That's yeah. the basic problem. Political power corrupts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know that's a, that's an alien concept uh, these days because our our universities and, and and high schools and grade schools have taught kids to revere and to respect almost like it's a, like we have Mao Zedong. Although now, of course, most of the left thinks it's the uh, the opposite. It's Satan in the White House and not their uh, and and not and then not their God Obama. But uh, yeah. and they can't get enough government. We have to keep fixing everything. It was Ron Paul that pointed out, though. However, that it's uh, that on this show one time he mentioned that really that's how they encourage people to hate each other because whenever government passes one law, they hurt one group and help another. But I, yeah. that's basically what you were just saying. I think in a way, mm-hmm. uh, part of what you're saying. But anyway, I want to get to the topic of your December letter, which is excellent, and I think people should really consider subscribing. It's a very modestly priced newsletter that most people can afford very easily. And uh, you, you talked about cyber warfare, trade. You sort of linked in trade war. We have this, uh, we have this specter of trade war that uh, President Trump is, uh, is seeming to wage, and you're very concerned about that. But then you sort of um, connected the dots between trade war and what might be going on in our own computers. Can you, uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it's pretty well known now that governments are waging a war on the Internet. The Internet has been made into a battleground by governments, and they, they each try to hurt each other or hurt their populations um, by um, you know, distributing viruses and uh, ransomware, all, all sorts of stuff uh, on the Internet. It's getting worse and worse by the week. Um, and the U.S. military is very, very concerned about it because they know that somebody is hacking their stuff. Probably a whole lot of somebodies are hacking their stuff, and they're hacking the stuff of other governments around the world. One of the most outrageous things that just came to light in the last week or two is that, um, according to Defense News, the the F-35 jet fighter, which is uh, the Pentagon's top air superiority fighter it plans to 
rule the skies for the next several decades. This is the latest thing, and it is they they admitted it's very vulnerable to hacking. They've got a major problem. They found out that <clears throat> the support systems for the jet enable hackers to get in and manipulate what happens with the jet. Um, and that's the case all through the, the Pentagon stuff. The GAO, the General Accountability Office, <clears throat> excuse me, just uh, released a, a report in October saying that the U.S. government's weapon systems are just, you know, filled with uh, loopholes that enable hackers to get in and, and uh, you know, control the weapon systems. Not, not that they're hacking uh, personnel records and other minor types of data. They're hacking the weapon systems. And the uh, Pentagon is practically helpless to do anything about it. And that's a, one of the main points of the article in, in Early Warning Report is that the, as the government's, well, backing up a little bit, as you know, I'm very big on the idea of ethics. I think that the decline yes. of ethics is destroying everything around the world. Mm-hmm. And civilization is in decline because ethics is in decline. People mm-hmm. are losing the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. Uh-huh. Well, governments are hiring brilliant people to to be their hackers to try to defend against other governments and these hackers learn how to use all these military programs. They learn how to write all these military programs. So you have essentially um, three levels of hacking in the world. There's the lower level, which is very simple. You, know, you and I could probably do it if we were just shown a few things. There's the middle grade. Those are people that are really good at it, and um, they can hack a whole lot of things. And then there is the top grade, which is military-grade hacking. These people are astounding geniuses, and they can hack into anything. There is no, in my opinion, there is no civilian defense against military-grade hacking, and there isn't going to be. Because what's going on is governments are hiring these geniuses to hack other governments, and these geniuses learn how to do all of this, and they stay with the government for some number of years, and then they go off on their own, freelancing. They Mm -hmm. are private individuals, and they know how to do all the military hacking, how to write the military programs. And so they go off on their own. And there are probably now thousands of them from the U.S. government, the Russian government, the Chinese government, people who used to work for these governments now are out on their own, and they are doing their own hacking um, using things like ransomware to make huge amounts of money off of it. And so in order to combat these guys, the government goes out, hires more geniuses, teaches them even more how to uh, do the military hacking, and then some of them quit the government, they go out on their own, and so the thing just ratchets up constantly. The skill of the um, the pirate hackers increases constantly because governments are increasing it. <laughs> and yeah. and the, the idea that some civilian organization is going to somehow find a way to protect themselves against this ratcheting of, of these 
this genius hacking is ridiculous. It's like thinking that the Chicago Police Department is going to be able to defeat the 82nd Airborne. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the, in my mind, and, and if somebody has, has uh, evidence that I'm wrong, I'd sure like to hear it. But in my mind, um, the Internet is going to be just sabotaged to death by this proliferation of hackers out there. There's no way to stop them. And, um, you know, the wise person will assume the day is coming, and I think it will be years rather than decades, and it could be even just months, where there will be so many frustrating things happening on the, happening on the Internet where, where your ability to do whatever you do on the Internet um, will be disrupted so often and so seriously that people will just walk away from the Internet. They'll quit using it. And I think, you know, that day is coming. And if, I don't think it will happen this year, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it happens next year or just the year after because it's getting worse so fast mm-hmm. because of the proliferation of these military-grade hackers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, in fact, uh, compared it to the uh, golden age of piracy in your newsletter, 1650s to around Mm -hmm. 1735 or so. And then you also compared it with the the soldier to pirate career paths of Jesse James and others after after the Civil War. And, I mean, the point is that human nature doesn't change. And now we have all this technology that makes uh, human nature, both good and bad, uh, even more powerful, I think it's mm-hmm. uh, is it's what I'm hearing you say. You know, yeah. Jim Rickards. Uh, Jim, Jim uh, go ahead. You were going to say something. Ethics. You you know you're you're big on the ethics, and I might mention to our listeners, early warning report. If you go there, uh, you have a, a record, there's a website that I know is your website. Uh, also, Ethics Solutions, which is a course you were teaching, and I never did. Uh, I'm sorry to say, never did follow up on that, but I, I think, and I really applaud you for your efforts there in, in that regard uh, uh, towards trying to help people uh, with a- with ethics, because that's really what it boils down to if we're going to live together in harmony uh, on yeah. this earth. Did you you had a comment that I I started to interfere with? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say the uh, the website uh, for Ethics Solutions is ethicssolutions.net. And, okay. and that will explain it all to you. <laughs> Very good. Very you know, good. I'm, we, we I'm kind of on a crusade here. I know there, you are. There's just no way, uh, no, no way to save our civilization without restoring ethics. And, I, don't, uh, I don't disagree. I don't disagree, and that's one thing you yeah. hardly, hardly hear about. And um, anyway, um, we, we need to talk to you about that more some other time. Jim Rickards okay. said on this show that he doesn't really fear nuclear weapons, uh, nuclear war, as much as he once did because of these cyber attack capabilities. Uh, why to destroy the whole world when you can shut down your opponent by not allowing their, their airplanes to fly or one thing or your uh, or their power grids to operate? Yeah, right. Um, it's, it, you know, this is a, actually this is a science fiction theme. It goes back a long time, many decades. Science fiction writers began to point out that human technological development was running ahead way, way ahead of human ethical development. And now we're into the position where the technology is running even faster ahead and the ethical development is actually going backwards. And, you know, science fiction writers have predicted, well, this, <laughs> this can't lead to anything good. 
and uh, and we're sure facing it right now. Um, it's it's very likely that everybody listening to us has been on a computer uh, at one time time or another recently, and has had something screwy go on. Can't figure out what it is. It's very likely that's somebody hacking you. Um, or hacking some somebody else that you're attached to, or something like that, um, and it's very likely. In fact, it's it's a virtual certainty that everything you do on the internet is being monitored by somebody. They are learning about your personal life. Anything you put on the internet that uh, is about your personal life is being stored and being sold to somebody. Uh, and one of the very worst things that's going on now is the um, the toys that children are being uh, given are full of computer stuff. And some of this, uh, or none of it, uh, practically none of it, has any kind of security at all. And it monitors what's going on in your home. And um, there, there are some of them, according to an FBI report, the FBI released an, a warning on this, that some of these toys will broadcast to any, any pervert who happens to be plugged in and has the, the software to monitor these things, Goodness which sakes. is not yeah. difficult to get. Um, they, will, uh, they will give the pervert all sorts of information about the child, including a photograph and the geographic location of the child. Oh, my goodness sakes. That's frightening. That's, a, that's downright frightening if you're a parent, for sure. Richard, we're mm-hmm. just about out of time. So much more to talk to you, uh, to ask you about. You talked about uh, how you see this coming. You mentioned a, a little bit ago in our discussion here that you thought that there would probably people would just stop using the Internet uh, and I know that you talk through this in your newsletter, uh, mm-hmm. how people should adapt. Uh, human beings are very adaptable, as you as you note, uh, mm-hmm. and how people should start to think in terms of adapting to a world uh, that is just simply too dangerous to use the Internet. And you mentioned there may be some soft, uh, soft Internet uh, usage. And uh, I would just suggest, because there's just not enough time to talk about it, listeners, you need to subscribe to Richard's letter. Get this December issue. Uh, Richard, what are you charging these days for a, a, an annual subscription? Um, the normal price is 300 and I think we've got a promotion going on for 179 if I'm correct about that. Oh, well, that, if that's uh, so, I would just tell my listeners, there's so much more to talk to you about. Uh, you, you have investment ideas that you pass along, too, and I would like to talk mm-hmm. to you about those. We're just about out of time. You did mention, I do want to ask you about, Velocity, monetary velocity, you talk about that. It seems to me that at least in the United States, your sense of monetary velocity is starting to speed up, which would suggest that prices could be on the rise, right? Right. Um, it's really hard to talk about velocity in a few minutes. but <laughs> Yeah, we don't have it, but it's just suffice it to say yeah. that your measure is suggesting that money is turning over more rapidly now in the United States and that yeah. that could portend for inflation. I mean, the best thing for you folks out there is just to subscribe to Richard's letter. We are out of time, Richard. My my apologies to you. So much more to talk to you about. We'll have you back again sometime very soon. Folks, that is all the time we have this week. Um, Next week, Alistair McLeod is with me, Uh, Ivan Bebek of RN Resources, and Michael Oliver as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. (music) 
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon Territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. 